0: It's a joy to worship with you this morning, uh, to be in the presence of the living God um, together as a bunch of people that love Jesus, or even maybe just checking Jesus out and trying to figure out what that's all about. If you're in the sanctuary, that's awesome. But if you're in the overflow, we want to say thank you for joining us there um, and choosing to sit in the overflow. And for those online as well, you know, there's quite a few that watch online. Love to have you here on Sunday mornings, but we're grateful that we can uh, have that opportunity to have you join online. So a couple of business, or not business, but family-related things to start with. About, about 8.25 this morning, uh, Rose Jones went to be with her Lord and Savior. Um, Karen and Anna Isley have loved on her so well this last week. Um, pray for her husband Dave and uh, Dave Jones Jr. out in Wisconsin. Just one more layer in his life in the last month. And pray uh, they got another son by the name of Fred. So lay them um, before the, our Lord and Savior this week. Um, they... Uh, Dave called me about quarter to quarter to 8 and about quarter to 9 after Karen called me and if you know Dave he's usually not very emotional he was very broken up this morning rightfully so so please lift lift that family up um, before god This is our last week um, for Awana this year, and we're just grateful for such a great year. Our Cubbies and our um, uh, Sparkies program had an incredible number of kids. Our Truth in Training, which is third through fifth, went very well. So we have our hot dog summer supper this week and our kind of a year-end awards ceremony. But I just want to take a moment um, just to say thank you to Ellen Slotman, and Steve Riley. I don't know if Steve's in here. He's probably doing, he's staying in the back corner. Both of them, this is their last year with uh, being in Iwana, so we just want to say thank you. <laughs> Steve's been our commander the last few, quite a few, he's been in Iwana for a long time, but our commander, and Ellen's been in the office for years and years. Ellen's going to help out with uh, middle school more now, kind of administrative role, high school as well. Um, and Steve is, you know, Steve is <laughs> extremely busy with the uh, school board and being on leadership here. So pray for um, new leaders in those two uh, um, areas of Awana. So last week, I was leaving the church, and somebody um, stopped me. I was acting in the truck and said, having me roll down the window, and he say, I just want to let you know, we love the team that God has put together here at FBC. So, and I, I thought about that all week. I love being part of the pastoral team at FBC. And how God has weaved this team together has just been a great thing. So it's a joy for me to be able to open up the Word of God every week with you and and, and just be part of what God is doing here in heart and here at FBC and in Oceania County and around the world. We prayed for Pastor Mark this morning, so just wanted to say that. But with that said, did you hear about the three pastors that went fishing? They're in a boat just floating around looking for fish, enjoying the nice day when, when, uh, when the youth pastor says, we never get to let our hair down. Let's each confess what we struggle with most and we can uh, pray for each other. The worship pastor said, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I have a trouble with gambling. I sneak out at night and I go to the casino. The youth pastor, after hearing that, Kind of blurted out, I gotta admit, I have a trouble cheating. I haven't paid my taxes for years. So he kept fishing and floating around, and the lead pastor was just silent. Nothing. Fishing away, enjoying the day. They waited and they waited and they waited for the for the worship, the lead pastor to say something, but he would not budge. They said, we're not getting off this boat until you say something. Tell us what you struggle with the most. After a few moments, he sat there and he said, all right, my greatest sin is gossiping, and I can't wait to get off of this boat. <laughs> I heard that recently. I am like, no wonder I can't get these two guys to go fishing with me. I've been trying for, trying for years to get the three of us on a boat together. But it's a joy to be able to team with uh, Pastor Mar- uh, Dave and Pastor Ryan. And I love what God, is, what God is doing here. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45, verse 26. I asked you to read Genesis 45 through 47 in preparation for this message so that your heart will be ready. Um, and the Holy Spirit has taught you things through this week. Next week, read, we're, we're going to end in 47 today. So read the rest of 47 again over and over this week, and chapter 48. So 47 and 48 for for next week. So we are continuing in our Joseph series. We've been studying his life now for the last five weeks, learning from his journey. Last week, we covered a lot of ground, four chapters in the life of Joseph. And during those chapters, we saw this long, drawn-out, dramatic reveal between Joseph and Joseph, and his brothers. In a powerful part of that saga, we began to see all those disconnected parts, all those moments of Joseph's life that seemed to be wasted, that were down here. We've seen God start bringing them together, and we start seeing what God had been doing all through his process. We started to see some beauty come up out of the ashes, We began to see how God was synergizing, working together all of his life, bringing all those broken pieces. And we saw more clarity than why we've been using the verse out of Romans um, that that, uh, we've been, do I have it up on the screen? I don't think we do. Um, The next verse um, out of Romans 8.28, which is our anchor verse for this series. And we know that God causes all things to work together, to synergize, For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. God is constantly working. And we got to see that last week. So we ended with Joseph explaining to his brothers that it was God that sent me here. It was not you. Take the guilt and remove it from yourself because it was all God. Now today we pick up the story, and the brothers have gone back to Jacob, their father, and they tell Jacob this unbelievable news that his son is alive. So we're going to start at verse um, 26 of chapter 45, and let's let's read this together. Joseph is still alive, they told him, and he is governor of all the land of Egypt. Jacob, Jacob was stunned at the news. He could not believe it. But when they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirits revived. Then Jacob explained, It must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go and see him before he die. So as we turn to chapter 46... We see Jacob uproot all of his family because they are moving to Egypt. Some 70 persons or more are going to be going in this caravan. And in Genesis 46, 8 through 27, we see the names of all those people that are going, the the family leaders. They are uprooting everything that they know, everything that is familiar, everything that is comfortable to move to an entirely new existence. And you thought um, planning an extended family trip was difficult. There will be drama, because there always is. In fact, we will see drama in the life of Joseph. He has climbed to this level of influence in Egypt, and he has basically become an Egyptian. But the question we will see him struggle with on his interior as he tried is, "Am I an Egyptian, or, or am I still a member of my family of birth?" This this will really be fleshed out next week as we read the next two chapters, trying to figure out who's he going to be more loyal to, the empire or to the promise or to his family. But today we take a different turn because that's where our passage goes. The first four four weeks of this series have been mainly about Joseph. We've been studying the longest-running narrative about one particular person in the book of Genesis, Joseph. But not today. Today God takes us back to Jacob, Joseph's father. This whole message today has something to do with identity too. We are leaving the promised land and we're heading to Egypt. But What does that mean about who Jacob is? But more importantly, what does that tell us about who we are as followers of God? Will that change who we are? So there is a question of identity and sometimes when there's a question of identity or some big issues in life, it requires a patriarch or a matriarch to remind us of who we are. So it reminded me of a story of a friend of mine. He said when he was an arrogant seminary student, he had, come back from, he had come back from seminary and he had been studying the original language, the Greek and Hebrew, for about two, two, over, just over two years. And he thought he knew it all he understood the original language he understood kind of what the text was saying but one day when he was home over spring break he got a knock on the door and there stood a group of Jehovah's Witnesses he got excited He said I'm gonna be able to share with them what God has been showing me so he invited them in they sat down on the couch and they started to talk and every time they would share a verse he would respond okay But that's not what the original language means. That's not what it means. This is not what it means. Let me go show you over here. And on and on they went for 45 minutes back and forth, back and forth. After about 45 minutes they could tell they weren't getting anywhere with them so they said, we're going to head out. So he said, can I pray with you? They're like, no, we want to pray with you. And they argued back and forth about who was going to pray with each other. So as soon as they left, He hears footsteps coming up from the basement. It was his grandpa who had overheard all of this. The man that he had the utmost respect for. The man who he had the highest integrity and the deepest faith of anybody that he knew. So grandpa walked over to him and said, Are you finished fighting? Then he turned around and he walked away. He said those words cut like a knife. That was the moment that changed so much about his approach when it came to ministry. Sometimes it requires a patriarch or a matriarch to remind us what's important. Sometimes it requires a patriarch or matriarch to remind us of whose we are. Do You have years to listen to the patriarchs and matriarchs in your lives. And Jacob shows up in the text this morning to remind us, not just Joseph, but every one of us that is in here. Not just his siblings, but all of us. That when we move into a strange and foreign land, when we don't know what God is doing, there is a way to remember who we are and whose we are. And that's at the core of what this is about. So let's pick up the text in, in verse chapter 46, verse 1. It says this. So Jacob set out from Egypt with all his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the god of his father, Isaac. So this is not the first time that Jacob the patriarch has been to Beersheba. He had been there before. So remember last year when we went to our patriarch and our matriarch series. Jacob was camped out at the night near Beersheba. He was be- between Beersheba and Haran. Uh, And he was running away from his past. He had caused a bunch of issues and hurts and and a lot of discontent. And he had to leave a life that he once had. And he was moving to a life that he had not been to yet. He was caught between the already of what had happened and that not knowing of what was yet to come. So we saw him there quite a few chapters ago. But while he was there, do you remember what he did? He built an altar and he worshiped. Now, this time, he's coming from up north again and he's going down to Egypt and Goshen. And where does he stop again? In Beersheba. He stops there because he's anxious, he's nervous. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And Beersheba is at the southernmost part of the land of promise. The the land where the promise was given to his ancestors, Canaan. And he's got to leave this land and he's filled with anxiety. He's not sure what this is all about. But what does he do? He worships. This is what we do when we don't know which way to turn. This is what we do when we don't know where to, to, to go and what's next. The next time we're anxious, this is where we need to start. God's going to bring you to the precipice of something. We need to worship. We need to build an altar. We need to get down on our knees. When you come to the place, you say, I don't know what to do. This seems like it makes sense. There's a massive famine going on. I got to bring my family down here so they can get resources. But, But this dirt up here is where the promise is at. Are you sure, God, this is where you want me to go? What is it in your life that God is calling you to right now that you know God's calling you to something, but you're right at the precipice of it and you're nervous, you're anxious, You don't know for sure. Yeah, I think God's doing it. If I I lead them out of Canaan, am I selling out? Am I losing what God has already promised me? So when we're confused, when we don't know what to do next, when there's a relationship issue, when we have a big decision, find some altar and kneel at it. Say, Lord, you see this long arc of my life. As we study Joseph, we know that God's got all these hidden promises. Lord, you, you have this long arc of my life in view. You see it from beginning to you see it to the end. I only see right now what's happening. What should I do? And God says in Proverbs, he says it this way. You make plans, but I direct your steps. Who directs our steps? What do we need to do? Get down on our knees. Say, God, what is this next step? I'm going to make steps. I'm going to make plans. You direct them. So direct me, God, as I worship. Just a powerful lesson from Beersheba. Where do you need to make an altar this week? And worship. Verse 2. During the night... God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. A beautiful thing happens here in this passage. The Lord responds. The Lord calls out Jacob twice. Jacob, Jacob. So we saw earlier in our study that that Jacob had wrestled with God all night and then he gets a name change. What did they name change it to? Israel. Israel. But but here God calls him Jacob, Jacob. Now a lot of translations rightfully have from the night of wrestling all the way through, it should be Israel. So he breaks that here and he says, Jacob, Jacob. Do you remember what Jacob meant? Heel grabber. Or in other words, one who clings. So, So God is literally saying to Jacob, one who clings, one who clings. I think there are seasons where it is absolutely p- possible to simultaneously cling to the thing that motives, matters the most on the interior while relinquishing on the exterior the way of the promise. And, and God is here calling Joseph or Jacob to say, let it go, let it go, cling to the promise, let go of all these other things. There is something that must be relinquished in order for you to move forward. And then verse 3, he could, God continues, I am the God, the God of your father, the voice said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. Fascinating language here. Almost verbatim the same words that he used to, that he used of Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, when he, God called to him and says, I will make you into a great nation, and my promise is I will go with you. I will be with you. Using this very same word, God assures Jacob that even though he's leaving the land that's associated with the promise, I will be with you. This promise is still here. This promise is still going with you. The promise is here because the promise I gave you is in here. And because I made the promise, I will keep the promise. God is still doing that today. He makes promises and he keeps promises. That's just part of who he is. Jacob is learning that the promise is mobile because the promise is in here and not out there somewhere. The promise of God is here. There are times when I think about this, I think Jesus was talking about this later in the New Testament. When Jesus is talking to the first century um, people who, who associated the kingdom of God with very tangible things. The kingdom is coming, but in order to get there, there's got to be a temple. There's got to be this religious obedience to, to to a bunch of practices. There's got to be this this you got to obey all these certain laws and there are all those mechani- mechanisms, they're, they're good and they, they, they will help you get there. But Jesus is like, no. Those things are great, but the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. His love, his reign, his grace, it goes with you because it's in you. It's true for us today. And all those mechanisms are only meant to illuminate the kingdom of God that is right here inside of us. They are pathways to see the aliveness of God. So it's great to have your devotions. It's great to pray. It's great to do other things. But they should be um, showing what's inside and what God's doing in your heart, right? What God is doing and the work He's doing because His kingdom is here. So I I love the rest of of the language from God to Jacob. I will go with you down to Egypt, and I will bring you back again. And then he says, you will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. This is where we struggle. We live in a society that ever since Coach Pitch When you played baseball, it's all about winning. It's all about succeeding, about climbing, about striving. From the time you were young enough to learn, we are taught to ascend, 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 grow, 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 climb, go. So when we enter into a season of descent, when life is hard, when something happens and it brings us down, we don't know what to do because we're afraid we never might make it back up again. But the beauty of the Christian faith The mystery of the Christian faith is this. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. I'm hitting this week after week. In the dying to ourself, God raises us up. He is with us both in the dying and in the the raising. This is resurrection language. We're coming up into Easter. But God's doing that in each one of our lives. He brings us down so that we can go up. And he's doing the same thing with, Joseph, with Jacob here. And he's promising, when you go down, I will be with you. And then I will bring you back up. What a promise that we have from God. Verse 5. So Jacob left Beersheba, and, t- and his sons took him to Egypt. They carried They they carried him and their little ones and their wives and the wagons Pharaoh had provided for them. They also took all their livestock and all the personal belongings they had acquired in the land of Canaan. So Jacob and his entire family went to Egypt. Sons and grandsons, daughters and granddaughters, and all of his descendants. All of them are listed in that chapter. So Jacob goes into Egypt. And we pick up the story where Joseph is introducing Pharaoh to his family. It's kind of like meeting the in laws. Verse 28, we're going to jump down. Let's read these next few verses together. As they neared their destination, Jacob sent Judah ahead to meet Joseph and get directions to the region of Goshen. And when they finally arrived there, Joseph prepared his chariot. And traveled to Goshen to meet his father, Jacob. When Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Finally, Jacob said to Joseph, Now I'm ready to die, since I have seen your face again and know you are still alive. This is a great text. Joseph is meeting his father. Can we just remember that it has been years since he last saw his father? His father thought he was dead. And remember, it was his father was the only one on the planet who saw him for who he really was. It was his father who recognized him. There's something different about that boy. In fact, here's a colorful cloak to wear. A colorful cloak to show this multicolored personality that you have the soul when i was a youth pastor i read an article once that was speaking about our walk with students that are hungry for trusted relationships they wanted mentor relationships this article said and in the mind of a student it goes something like this i see you see me so i become the me i think you see Next week, we're going to see this played out in a powerful, powerful way. The only one that really saw Joseph for the way jo- uh, Joseph was, was his father. Who sees the real you? Who is it in your life that you are letting in, that sees the real you, and you let them speak into your life? Who is it in your life? Is there anybody? Anybody? That sees the real you? We're going to come back to that next week. So when they meet, they embrace. They both hold each other and they weep and weep for a long time. And it takes a long time for it to dry up. Verse 31. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's entire family, I will go to Pharaoh and tell him, My brothers and my father's entire family have come to me from the land of Canaan. These men are shepherds, and they also raise livestock. They have brought with them their flocks and herds and everything they own. Then he said, When Pharaoh calls for you and asks you about your occupation, you must tell them, We, your servants, have raised livestock all of our lives, as our ancestors have always done when you tell them this, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen for the Egyptians despise shepherds. So when it, dry, when it dries up, when they finally are done, he turns to his brothers and he says, listen, I'm about to take you in to meet Pharaoh. Don't embarrass me. This is how it needs to play out. You will walk in there and he will say, what do you do for a living? Small talk. Stop. Okay, we got to stop here for a minute and think about this. We have to understand that there is some animosity between pharaohs and shepherds. Historians say that before the pharaohs there were shepherd kings. And pharaohs hated shepherds ever since that day. There's this hatred between the shepherds, I mean between the pharaohs and the and the and, and, and the shepherds. So understand that there's this thing. And when Pharaoh asks, what do you do for a living? Say we are keepers of livestock. We raise or watch livestock. It sounds more noble. It sounds better. So watch how this plays out in the next verse. And Pharaoh asked the brothers, What is your occupation? They replied, We are your servants, our shepherds. Just like our ancestors. So we don't know really what's going on here. But I kind of think it's like this. Joseph is like, Guys, don't embarrass me. We are keepers of livestock. They go in and say, We are shepherds, just like our ancestors. And Joseph pulls them aside and says, What are you doing? Are you trying to embarrass me? The Vibe brothers are like, Are you ashamed of your past? Shepherding is good work. Here, are you all high and mighty? Think you're better than us? Second in command to Pharaoh? Move away, get a high education. Don't forget where you're from. I kind of think that's what's going on here as I read this. Verse 5. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Now that your father and brothers have joined you here, choose any place in the entire land of Egypt for them to live. Give them the best land of Egypt. Let them live in the region of Goshen. If any of them have special skills, put them in charge of my livestock too. Important principle here God's people the people with the promise in them not up in the land In Canaan but inside of them are getting the best lands and the best jobs God causes everything to work together for the those that love God and are called according to his purposes God is always working God is always providing maybe not in the way that we want but God is always working and then it gets really, really crazy as Joseph takes his dad, Jacob, to meet Pharaoh. Verse 7. Let's read this one together. 7 through 10. Then Joseph brought in his father, Jacob, and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. How old are you, Pharaoh asked him. Jacob replied, I have traveled this earth for 130 hard years, But my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again before leaving his court. Dad, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, dad. Pharaoh begins with some small talk again. The king of an empire. The father of a family. The king of an empire. A shepherd. And the shepherd is the one that does what? Blesses The king. Twice. Don't overlook the importance of that. Which raises the question, who's got the power in that room? Because more than just being the father of the family, more than just being the keeper of sheep, what Pharaoh does not understand is that Jacob knows full well that he is the keeper of a promise. He is a keeper of an eternal promise that God has put right here. And I think that's what he, when he says, I, I've traveled hard for 130 years. He's like, my promise is long, and, my, and then my ancestors have lived before me. The promise has been around a lot longer than any of you pharaohs. And he believed That wholeheartedly. So he reaches out his calloused hands, his hard-earned working shepherd hands, and he puts them on the shiny bald head of the Pharaoh, and he blesses him. Powerful moment. Do you know there's a promise in you as well? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, there is a promise. There's this living hope inside of you. There's a colorful soul in you that is so alive and so real that you have the capacity to bless the kings of the earth. Are you living out of that? Or has life weighed you down and you're stuck up in Beersheba going, I don't know, I don't know if I can or I should. It's inside of us. I've been saying for these five weeks in the Joseph series, there's an aliveness in you if you know God is your Lord, there's something beautiful and good. It's the promise of the holy God. You have the capacity to stand in front of somebody and bless them. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Let's read this together too. We now have this light shining in our hearts But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. He brings you down so he can raise you back up. And to realize that there's something greater going on in you. A promise inside this fragile clay vessel. A promise that shines or should be shining. Every person that God places before you, the spot that God has you on, you need to see that person as, I need to bless that person. I need to have my light shining out to that person. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. God is placing you there because of the treasure that's inside of you. You may be the access point for that person to be loved to be cared for, to be shown Jesus this week. You being a blessing to somebody this week will be better than me preaching a sermon. Being kind and generous and compassionate speaks much louder louder than any words. We saw that last night in the Free Burma Rangers. Love drove that man to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should have a go every day to be a blessing and speak a blessing to at least one person. Don't wait for a special occurrence or occasion, a birthday or Christmas, just an ordinary average day. Wake up in the morning and say, God, who is it that I can bless today? You cannot bless everyone, but God has people in your life to bless. You need to study them and look for ways and listen to the Spirit in your life. Observe, how can I be a blessing? Understand what's inside of you so it can be poured out. Are you looking for a way to be a blessing? I was walking into J&H gas station this week, and as I'm walking in, there's a guy standing outside the door, and he's on his, his phone, but his phone had just died. And I could tell he was frustrated, and he was anxious, and something was going on. So I pulled my phone out of my pocket and said, hey, you need to make a call. And he looked at me, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, use my phone. He said, it's long distance. I said, I don't care. So he dials a number. I hear him calling Mexico. (laughs) I'm like, God, (laughs) may the phone call drop. No. But he completes the call, and I hear him. He's talking in Spanish, and I don't know what he's saying, but he completes the call. It was less than five minutes, probably like only three minutes. He came back over to me with my phone. I didn't go very far. He came back, and he handed me my phone, and he said, Thank you, with tears in his eyes. Thank you for letting me use your phone. And I could tell that simple act of blessing was a huge opportunity for me to share Jesus. So all I said and respond is Jesus loves you. And we parted ways. It may have cost me a few dollars, but I have learned that we need to look for opportunities to be a blessing, to put our hands on somebody's head. Maybe not literally. Put your hands out and bless. Twice Pharaoh did that. If we're going to reach this community, we have to make it our highest priority to bless others. Borrow my cell phone. Give a compliment. Bring your spouse some flowers. Leave a Gatorade on your child's seat after practice. Ten extra dollars for the guy that delivered your pizza. Give a ride home. Shovel snow when there's an extra surprise spring snowstorm. Stay late so that everybody has a ride home. And on and on and on. And we should always do it in the name of Jesus. May that be the case for us as believers in Jesus. There is something shining in you that is put there by God, a promise. Make sure you live that out.